victory over Swansea City last week. I think going into that league game against mid-ranked opponents was probably the lowest we've felt in terms of expectations for quite some time, wasn't it? Absolutely, and the first half lived up to those expectations gloriously, but then uh, my prediction of a 3-0 comfortable win where we put in a performance managed to come true after Moyes made some magic happen in the second half, swapping Kagawa and Yanazai around a masterstroke. Well, I suppose so, although uh, the, the flip side of that argument would be why the hell did he play Kagawa out of place in the first place? But, you know, hey. So you're right to first point there you said was that uh, United were pretty poor in the first half. Very, very poor, in fact. It was very, very laboured performance. And uh, weirdly, it was almost as if United were playing like the away side and happy to concede possession, uh, let Swansea have it in front of them. Uh, actually pretty comfortable defensively, uh, really, in all truth, uh, you know, for much of that half, although Swansea did create some, you know, quite a few chances in the end. And, and then to try and break, but it was pretty ineffective. I thought, you know, very laboured, Kigawa out of position on the left wing, couldn't get into the game. Yanazai wasn't influencing from that position at number 10, which, you know, I think we all believe that he'll eventually take up. But uh, on the day, in the first 45, he wasn't able to really get into the game in the way that he might have wanted. Um, And then flip those two players around for the second half and it really worked. Kigawa all of a sudden became the playmaker that we really believe him to be. I mean, the... uh, yeah, his ability to turn and uh, break at speed and then bring players into play was fantastic. And then Yanazai, confident on the ball, consistently finding space to put crosses in and, and it really worked for United in the end. Absolutely. I mean, I think that those were the absolute outstanding changes, weren't they? The, the flipping around of those positions to play them in more natural positions because whether or not you think Yanazai will end up as a number 10 for now... He certainly looks very, very comfortable on either flank, doesn't he? Yes, I mean, I, I think for him, he's such an intelligent player, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he really doesn't play like a traditional winger when he's playing in that position uh, out wide. He, he's uh, able to drift inside at will, really, and get onto the ball. And, and then he's also got the talent to beat a man and put a cross in if, if that's what's required. You know, he's certainly no old-fashioned winger. But talking of an old-fashioned winger, I thought Antonio Valencia also had a positive game. You know, he looked more confident going forward. Uh, you know, willing to try and take on the fullback and uh, you know helps United in that second half to really play like the away side and, and break when Swansea's possession finally broke down. Not that it broke down a lot. No uh, possession stats for that one comical. I mean, actually, you know, everyone makes fun of possession stats and use it as an example to show how you know they're, they're nonsense. If you look at that. In the first half, it was kind of a question of actually, this is when position stats really do show you the nature of the passages of play and the balance of play and stuff, because United had 30-something percent possession in the first half, which is their lowest at Old Trafford since people started collecting that kind of stat. Yeah, well, 39% in total through the whole game. Yeah, There's actually two ways of calculating possession stats. One is absolute time in possession of the ball. The other is number of passes, and you translate that into time because it's actually a pretty good barometer. Uh, Swansea uh, tend to do a little better sorry for being all nerd on this uh, Swansea tend to do a little better on the translating the absolute time measurement than the translating passes into time because they actually play in quite a slow fashion but you know it's marginal in, in any case 60% possession or a little bit more for Swansea uh, I don't remember the last time that anyone at Old Trafford had that kind of possession you know that's the kind of possession levels that uh, Barcelona achieve on a weekly basis 
Yeah, I mean, I do think that it is United's lowest home possession recorded, certainly in the league. Uh, I remember seeing or hearing that somewhere. I wanted to talk about the central midfield because I felt like, as well as the eye-catching change of Yanazai and Kagawa, the other thing that made an enormous difference to the second half was Fletcher breaking forward from the centre because in the first half it could not have been a flatter 4-4-2 and there was a point where Danny had the ball uh, somewhere on the right flank and there was just an acre of green space and white shirts around him and nobody getting anywhere near him and in fact I think Kagawa's impact in the hole in the second half was partly enabled by the fact that Darren Fletcher got close to him, gave him an option, gave defenders something else to think about. And given Fletcher's injury, to see him put that kind of bombastic performance in, especially in the second half of a match, it really is promising because he definitely looks slower than he did and he's clearly got less physical energy. But I mean, there is a slight like a new signing aspect to him being back to anything like his best, isn't there? Yes, certainly. I mean, uh, you said uh, massive helped Kagawa to get someone close to him because it gave Kagawa a bit more freedom and uh, room because it took away markers so very good performance from Fletcher especially in the second half I think you're you're right to say that driving from midfield was important for United and it's very promising I'm not sure that Fletcher could live with the kind of intensity of game that we'll see on Sunday at Chelsea for example but maybe maybe you know he keeps surprising me I'm not sure I really believed I'd ever see him back in a you know competitive really competitive sense in a United shirt and he's kind of proven me wrong there Helped, I have to say, by the very poor quality of play uh, of the two sort of holding players from Swansea in the second half. You know, they just seemed to run out of the energy when they didn't have the balls of Britain and Kanyas, and Kanyas substituted eventually. Uh, I didn't think they were very good. Uh, Shelby, not much better, and, and you know, really only Pozuelo of, of the wide players for, for Swansea causing any trouble to United, you know. So, you know, the point being that either... Fletcher and, and Carrick and Yanazai and Kagawa and, you know that sort of quartet of players who came central a lot managed to take over which which they did or, or Swansea's performance level dropped off in the second half which it did as well I mean Yanazai's first incredibly telling contribution was some out and out wing play I mean it was just a beautiful goal that I think it's the I think it's the Valencia goal. There was a, a through ball from Kagawa, which uh, Welbeck latched onto. He came back inside because the option wasn't there and gave the ball to Yanazai, who basically just ran in and out and then back in again towards the, the byline and whipped a beautiful cross. I mean, absolutely stunning cross. And, and you say Valencia had a positive game and he did, but the quality of his crossing is, is just nowhere at the level of Yanazai's, is it? Yanazai's range of crossing, his tendency to find a player. After that game, Gary Neville gave Yanazai the man of the match. I, I certainly would have done if I was in charge of that sort of thing. He was just absolutely mesmerising for 45 minutes, I thought. Yeah, he was very good. And, and uh, sure, yeah, quality of crossing is very high. But yeah, the quality of his delivery from all sorts of situations is very high, isn't it? I hate to say it, but Beckham-esque when he's playing on the in wide areas because his delivery isn't necessarily the natural winger's way of doing things. He's not going to you know hit the byline, uh, find half a yard of space, and whip it in. Normally, he he's beating a man and getting space with a little bit of skill, and he probably needs less space than Valencia in order to deliver a ball as a result. I think in truth he's just a higher quality player than Valencia and that shows he's just a very very high quality player I wrote a piece today um, about him and the kind of comparisons that fly around I mean if you put Yanazai and Cristiano Ronaldo into any search engine you'll see a lot of comparison pieces and people saying you know this is the player he most reminds me of Quinton Fortune Gary Pallister various other United luminaries saying that 
I have to say, I mean, of course, he's a very different sort of player and whether or not he'll become Ronaldo is so dependent on how much he wants it because Ronaldo's just like he won the Ballon d'Or again this week of course and the story of Ronaldo's success is a man with immense talent but more than talent he has drive right that's why he's the best it's because he really wants to be the best and he you know that's been his whole kind of life's ambition and whether or not Yanazai's got that will make a huge difference to the final level whether he's you know just a really excellent player for his career or whether he's competing for awards like the Ballon d'Or and I really don't think it's ridiculous to talk in these terms because the only 18 year olds I can think of with that equivalent level of talent the whole time I've been watching United Ryan Giggs Cristiano Ronaldo Wayne Rooney those are the only three teenagers I remember being that excited sure yeah I mean I really don't think he's the same kind of player as Ronaldo at all he's he's really a technical player Ronaldo became a force of nature didn't he you know it's the physical aspect that really enhanced his game that took his game to another level I mean he always had that ability to dribble and he had that express pace but the fact that he started scoring goals was the physical side of things he was able to get into the right places at the right time and uh, score goals with his head or either the feet and you know the, the kind of power of his play really developed over the years so we'll see whether Yanazai develops physically and whether that alters his game at all at the moment I think he's more of a cross between uh, Beckham and Ozil in the way he plays and covers the ground uh, you know I guess it's just the type of movement and he's just a technical player so I don't expect Yanazai really to end up at number nine although of course some people say he could play there he probably could I think it'd probably be a waste of his all-round game to do that uh, yeah I mean the other player that he makes me really think of is Giggs because of the way he runs down the left wing with the ball at his feet he's maybe not quite as quick maybe he's a bit more gifted technically with the dribbling and stuff you know and and the Ronaldo thing when when he took that header against uh, I think it was against Villa right the goal that Welbeck scored the rebound from Yanazai suddenly just floating through the air looked such a Ronaldo-esque leap and you're right he's definitely definitely not the same kind of player but how excited about him are you? Well very excited because he's he's a huge talent and uh, I think when Gary Neville says something along the lines of he could be among the very best in the world he's probably right really to be among the very very best in the world for the type of player he is he's going to have to score more goals and that will come in time I think I think he'll understand the game better and he'll get into the right positions but technically he's absolutely superb uh, he has you know really fantastic balance uh, he's not really physically built out yet but manages to escape opponents because of that balance he can deliver from set pieces he can strike a ball very cleanly you know he's certainly got power in his shooting uh, we saw he can hit a decent free kick as well so you know he's got all the aspects of his game that he needs he, he's uh, I believe scored with his right foot this season as well hasn't he so yeah beautiful goal right so he he can you know, he can do it with either foot. Uh, his heading's not that great. I mean, he's, he's not exactly a big lad. So there's a few you know, areas of his game that he's going to develop. I think some of it will be about understanding which position he ends up playing in. I mean, I, I, right now he's a utility forward that can play anywhere. Will he settle in one position? Maybe he'll settle in that position just behind the principal striker. And from there, he could cause all sorts of damage. So yeah, very exciting. Excellent. I mean, the only thing I want to caveat that with is I'm not sure I would have expected him to be scoring more goals by now certainly I mean of course you you hope he will as time progresses but I think his contribution has been well above expectation up to 
this point in the season for sure yeah and that's that's the point over the course of a career if, if you're going to be up there with the very best in the world the world's elite he's going to have to score some more goals because he's a forward player but you know not right now I mean frankly at the beginning of the season I didn't think that he was quite ready for the United first team and there were there was some talk about him going out on loan that would have seemed like a logical option I mean he had a very very good season for the reserves last year you know very exciting but as a 18 year old kid just on the fringes of the United squad I mean he wasn't on the fringes of the United squad at all last season but really only through the summer loaning him out would have seemed very sensible but he's he's surpassed expectations in all areas really and coming we'll preview the game against Chelsea in detail but the extent to which we need him is crazy right I mean there's no way he should have those kind of expectations on him at this age and that that does say more about the quality of the squad but I mean he's made himself absolutely indispensable to United right well he has yeah and it's a good job that he signed that five-year contract earlier this season otherwise there would have been clubs knocking uh, most certainly you know they may well still be anyway uh, of course uh, but look that's tied him down for a long time it puts United in a, a, in a strong position in terms of you know uh, knocking back other clubs who want to come there and and you're right United have become extremely reliant on him and, and partly that's because other creative players in the squad have underperformed Nani has hardly played this season uh, Giggs is obviously ageing Skulls has departed uh, and Kagawa has uh, not been fully utilised and when he's had the opportunity at 10 he hasn't really impressed in the the way that we want him to so we have needed him because the other creative players in the squad haven't performed yeah absolutely the other thing I want to say you mentioned that he excelled in the academy and we were thinking about sending him on loan doing a bit of research in the last 20 years since Nicky Butt in 93-94 Nicky Butt won the Denzel Haroon award for best reserve team player and in the 20 years that have passed there's only two winners of that award that have become United first team regulars which is Fletcher and O'Shea and every other winner of that award has gone on to have a career elsewhere but very few of them kind of really hit the heights and it just goes to show how rare it is that the academy standout player turns into United's best player right it's not by any means logical that that'll follow yep and and that's a factor of it being extremely difficult to make it in the pro game you know and some of those players have gone on to have a decent career elsewhere over that 20 years none of them have gone on to become world stars so I don't think United made any mistakes huge mistakes anyway I think Giuseppe Rossi won one year didn't he if I recall correctly yes he did that's what I was going to say yeah so Rossi's probably gone on to have the best career of those players that have won that award and and a very fine career and he'll go to the World Cup as a, a man banging form at the moment for Fiorentina of course soon to be joined by a ex-red now it seems in Anderson so it's just a difficult process coming out of the academy into the reserves and, and making it into the first team and the fact that Yanisai has effectively only had one season in the academy and one season in the reserves and made it into the first team is testament both to the good fortune he's had because the squad is thin enough that he's been afforded the opportunity and also his massive talent yeah absolutely I feel like it's completely appropriate to have a, a dedicated section to Yanazai when looking at that Swansea game because really in 20 years if anyone asks you about that game and you remember anything from it it's likely to be the performance of Adnan Yanazai I would have thought I mean I very much doubt I'll remember anything about that game in 20 years it, it was an unremarkable <laughs> performance well I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't know I, I think that I, I did not find it to be unremarkable just because the second half was so so markedly different we looked such a good side for periods of that second half going forward we looked like a really effective unit and there was you know another goal for Danny Welbeck so try and remember all of those to store him up for the lean years 
Right, yeah. Well, nice finish by Welbeck as well. He managed to flick the boot out and steer it into goal. So uh, fantastic, you know, yeah. And, and uh, it's it's interesting. Welbeck, he's got six in his last six starts. Hasn't started all of the games. So that's that's sort of basically the period that Robin van Persie's been out since mid December. Uh, Welbeck has started six games, got six goals, and they've all been different. You know, there's been left foot, right foot, drilled shots around the keeper, little flicks. Uh, tap-ins and and it's, it's good to see because that's I think a sign of Welbeck maturing of course uh, if Van Persie is back whenever he's back and no one seems to know exactly is is it a couple of weeks as Moyes keeps telling us every week for the last month uh, or is it six weeks as the media tells us well either way Van Persie's not quite back yet but when he is back uh, Danny Welbeck is probably going to be relegated to the bench again and that would be a real shame so he needs to score the goals now to give the manager a, at least a moment's pause yeah and I mean it's almost like Danny Welbeck's the complete footballer. Who would have thought that? Oh, except anyone paying attention. I mean, yeah, that definitely a problem with the finishing, a problem with the composure, especially last season when he was hardly playing up front and, you know, so then he's snatching at his chances. We could put that down to over-eagerness to impress. But this season, played up front in a period of time when he was desperately needed to score goals by the club and he's been keeping us in it in the way that we've relied on Van Persie to do so in the past. Well, that's right. But look, I think we all knew that Welbeck had quality the question was about his finishing and, and clearly it's improving absolutely clearly it's improving he's taking chances I read a piece about Welbeck on, on the blog this week and uh, one commenter said what a load of trash he misses twice as many chances as he takes which actually I suppose was factually correct because uh, he's scored with about a third of the shots that he's had this season mind you that's almost exactly the same percentage uh, as Robin Van Persie and Wayne Rooney so you could make that comment about uh, two of the classiest strikers in world football too <laughs> Yes, uh, that kind of completion rate is phenomenal for a striker, but, you know, no surprise that I'm a big fan of Danny Welbeck. Uh, That guy's jumped the shark, though. This is the bad news from all this. It got in the Man United programme thanks to at Sardine Trawler asking the question. I asked the question too, to be fair. So the club has, has pointed out to him that he is that guy. He returned the compliment by saying Ravel is that guy. And that's it. It's all over, lads. No more. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they'll soon be printing T-shirts that will be in the official club shop, won't they, with that guy? And, and that's when you kill the meme, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, as long as they employ Alwyn Payne to do that, I'll be happy. Uh... Talk, talking of official stuff and merchandise and all this nonsense, uh, United have made a signing this week. The only signings that Edward Wood seems to actually care about. Uh, Aperol spirits uh, of Aperol spits fame. If you ever been to Italy, uh, they love this stuff. It's this kind of sweet, peachy flavoured liqueur nastiness uh, that girls get drunk on, as far as I can tell. They are now United's official spirits partner. I thought we had an official spirits partner in in Smirnoff, but apparently, looking at the sponsors, they are our official responsible drinking partner, which is amusing to me because Smirnoff was definitely not drunk responsibly when I was a lad. No, I mean, we we have had this exact discussion on the pod before about the insane doublespeak of Smirnoff being described as anyone's responsible drinking partner, um, because I th- I'm pretty sure if you're drinking responsibly, you just don't drink Smirnoff, right? But yeah, official spirits partner and... Of course, a deluge of jokes about how, yeah, fair enough, United have sort of, United fans have needed to turn to hard drink, so this will be helpful. Uh, but yeah, kind of depressing, right? Another one. Every time another one comes along, I find it equally kind of like glum. 
Well, yes, because it just feels cheap and sordid sometimes and, and uh, it doesn't feel like United's strategy, although successful in increasing the commercial revenue like 300% or something like that in the last three or four years. Uh, it feels like commercialization just for the sake of it. So they're taking any brand that comes along and it doesn't feel like a strategy to gain blue chip brands. Uh, and, you know, we know this when they sign brands like Mr. Potato. Right? This is the idea here is to take as much cash as possible uh, and it really doesn't matter about how it tarnishes the United brand. And the fact that we feel slightly tawdry about it is a reflection of our cynicism about the commercialization of football, but also the fact that these are not high quality brands. And the thing is, you know, not to preface a commercial conversation too much, but but United are, are really sprinting to stay still because others around Europe are also doing the same thing and and frankly to a more successful level you know this narrative that somehow the Glazer family have gone from nothing to uh, hundreds of millions of pounds in commercial revenue and, and no one else has been able to do this and it shows their genius is, is total nonsense. Yeah and you know not to go into a lecture about communism but I really think there's a really serious oh first of all the important thing Mr Potato not a blue chip brand but a potato chip brand couldn't let that pass but there's a real issue with alcohol sponsorship in sport, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, alcohol companies are prevented from advertising during certain hours of television to avoid exposure from minors. But minors have extraordinary levels of brand awareness about alcohol brands. And, you know, drinks companies argue exactly the same thing that tobacco art companies used to argue, which is that they're not trying to get new customers. They're trying to convince existing customers to switch. But it's just as much of a lie as it ever was with uh, tobacco companies, because because people are incredibly brand loyal to alcohol brands in the same way they are to tobacco brands. So it's a stealth way of advertising products to children, essentially. I mean, there's slightly more to it than that. People do consume enormous amounts of alcohol when watching sport, but that's kind of weird in itself, right? If you kind of get down to it, I know it's completely ingrained in football culture, of course. Well, well, it is, yeah. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure drinking Aperol is well, yeah. certainly not. Yeah, nice piece in the press release uh, announcing that uh, sponsorship deal. Uh, that Aperol spritz will now be served at Old Trafford. I'm sure that's going to get <laughs> yeah meat and potato pie and an Aperol spritz, please, love. <laughs> Not not so sure that'll be my choice, but hey. So uh, look, it's um, it's look, it's a good point because uh, the this is an institution that has significant uh, appeal to youngsters, although they, of course they can't afford to go anymore because of the price rises around the game, not just at Old Trafford. But that is the whole point, of course. You know, that's a key demographic brand. Uh, your fourteen year old plus uh, as a drinks company. That's exactly where you want to catch them. And and of course they're trying to get new customers. Let's not pretend that it's about switching. That's a load of nonsense. Uh, no one actually believes that, though. Of course, they can make that argument because it's hard to prove otherwise. Uh, so United are associated with that. The interesting thing, uh, I suppose, about this is that the club actually turned down a potential sponsorship uh, from Mansion, the gambling company, because uh, that wasn't within the ethics of the Glazer family. So uh, gambling, of course, you know, really not legal in much of the states. Uh, certainly online gambling is the real problem you have to... Uh, running out of certain states and certain times of day and all sorts of weird stuff like that. Whereas drink, um, I guess, uh, isn't a problem for the Glazer family in the same way. You know, you pick your poison, I suppose. And talking of the Glazer families and commercials and all that kind of stuff, I really want to have a conversation with you about money, Ed, because uh, not our financial... Yeah, yeah, how much do you owe me again, mate? <laughs> not our financial relationship, obviously, nor the attempts to monetise a rank cast, but just the 
Man United share price has been in the news a lot lately because David Moyes has uh, wiped a lot of effectiveness out of our attacking lineup, and he's wiped a heck of a lot of money off the value of Man United shares. Well, I suppose so. I have to say, if I'm uh, if I'm a buy side investor, I'm not really looking at the performance on the pitch just yet because the actual financials and the underlying financials at the club are pretty strong at the moment. There's a lot of free cash flow. It's increasing all the time because of multiple rounds of refinancing. So in theory over the next two or three years the Glazer family could probably wipe out the debt and you know I suspect they'll release some more shares into the market at some point they already filed to be given permission to do that the last sort of summer I suppose that uh, permission uh, lasts for a number of years anyway so they're in no rush they're just going to wait until they think it's at least at a short-term peak and they'll sell off another block of shares and, and they'll pay themselves some and they'll pay down some debt and, and United free cash flow will increase over time so look the underlying financials are okay the fact that United do not pay dividends uh, negates some of this argument anyway because they're just not paying dividends their earnings are around a, a penny US a share anyway so this is not up there with the tech blue chip stocks anyway as a money-making vehicle and United aren't going to pay any dividends anyway you're in it for the capital return the long-term investment I suppose if you're an investor but uh, you say that it's wiped some value off United's share price or equity and a couple hundred million came off Uh, it was at a peak in August at just over $17 it's down to uh, just a tad over $15 shares were issued at 14 so it's still up on two years ago when they were issued I suppose the interesting part about this I think is not the headlines by football writers talking about the value wiped off United shares because it's a bit of a misnomer it's really about the Glazers will be watching their share price and they'll be looking at the long-term effects so if United start to drop out of the Champions League and their revenues are hit then they'll get a bit nervous and that's the thing that will dictate whether the manager stays or goes let's forget all the nonsense about long-term stability and all of that if they have a coach that's ruining their financial base and the value of their asset they're certainly going to fire so um you think that we're talking about not if we drop out of the Champions League this season but if we drop out of the Champions League and don't get straight back in Yeah, I mean, that's speculation, of course, but uh, I think anything that actually affects United's underlying financials. So dropping out of the Champions League, depending on how well United do in it and which position they finished in the Premier League the year before, is worth anything between 20 and 60 to 70 million pounds a year. So that's significant because at the moment that's about United's level of free cash flow before all the debt kicks in. That is material to United's business to not be in the Champions League. They certainly predicate the business plan on being in the Champions League. The Champions League uh, rights are are reasonably complex. So you get money for, of course, how many wins you get and uh, how far you go in the competition. But you also get more money to do with your percentage of pool rights. So England's pool, so the share of Champions League money that the Premier League takes as a pool is bigger than any other country. That's because our television market is bigger. And then the Premier League winners take the most of that pool and then second, third, fourth and so on. If a team goes out, you get their pool and it's distributed between the remaining clubs. Uh, interesting that uh, I think it was Milan made a significant amount of money in the Champions League last year because all the other Italian sides went out really early. I think it's Milan, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so it, it's quite hard to predict how much money you're going to make from it, but it will certainly hit United's bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, then there's the whole on-field thing about what it does to United's effectiveness in the summer transfer window. 
Well, most certainly, and this is the thing that attracts players most of all, isn't it, these days? I mean, it's become almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everyone talks about it so much that it's become true that players on the elite level have to be playing in the Champions League. Of course, it's a little bit moot if United aren't very good in the Champions League, but hey, that's another question altogether. Uh, yeah, and it leads us nicely on to a conversation about transfers. So far, there has been some transfer activity at Manchester United in the transfer window, and I'm not talking about sponsors. He's gone! He's gone to Fiorentina! I can't quite believe it. I, for one, will slightly miss his cheeky grin. Obviously, he hasn't done very much on the pitch, which will be missed. Not by any means a terrible footballer, but a terrible career at Manchester United, I think it's fair to say. Many lowlights permeated with a few glorious highlights, uh, and he's off to play in purple. Very slimming, of course, purple. Yes. It might have to be, yeah. Uh, well, I suppose we can um, skip all the Ando fat jokes now. It'll be a shame it's going to ruin about 50% of our content on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in real trouble. Your material is really taken a serious I'm, I'm re- hit I, here. I, I know. I'm going to have to get some writers in to help me out. <laughs> what we, we need <laughs> Look, to sign a uh, chubby funster in the, uh, in the in the transfer window of some description. Maybe, maybe we do, yeah. Well, you know, maybe Bebe will come back porky. Who knows? So Ando gone. Yeah, I mean, you're right to say, look, he's a player of significant talent when he was younger. I was, I was looking through a few of the quotes today about Anderson. Uh, once it was confirmed, he's landed in Fiorentina to sign that deal. And I love the quote that's in one of Ferguson's books. I don't think it's in the latest one. Anyway, one of Ferguson's books about paraphrasing his brother, who basically said, Alex, you've got to sign him. He's better than Rooney. Which was, you know, the, I guess Martin Ferguson had had a few too many Aperol spritzes, you know, or whatever they drink in Porto. Port of course he'd had a few of those and was feeling a bit worse for wear when he phoned in that report but yeah Anderson was a very talented youngster won the golden ball at the FIFA under 17 uh, championships as we well know and Nuri Sarin uh, came third in that one so not everyone's career has gone up from there but he just didn't make it at United you know the thing that frustrated me about Anderson were, were the ifs and buts you know everyone kept saying oh yeah but if he played at number 10 he'd do it you know he never did he never did he barely played at number 10 and he never really did it and uh, pointing to the game against Arsenal or Liverpool as evidence that he was a, a brilliant player well fine but I don't think a brilliant player is a one-off player I'm afraid a brilliant player is someone who can do it over a season and Anderson never did it he never break 30 games in a season he never put a string of games together because he was always injured and unfit maybe some of that was unlucky maybe not never put a string of games together because he wasn't consistent enough so in the end the 30 million euros that United spent uh, has been a poor investment and you know he got a very long time at United given the return on that poor investment six years is a very long six and a half years very long time for someone who performed really honestly quite poorly for United for a very long time I mean I do think that Fergie really liked him I, I mean I genuinely Genuinely, there, there was a moment of contact between the two of them uh, during the celebrations, um, and I just, I just think Fergie liked him and gave him more chances than other people because he found him a positive force in the dressing room and all that kind of stuff, and fun to have around and useful as a, in a kind of mascot capacity. And I'm, I'm not even joking about this. I really think there was something to that. And obviously, United put in a huge figure to buy him so maybe Ferguson there's a bit of 
pride there, not wanting to let him go on the cheap, never having proved himself. And also, he did flatter to deceive all the time because there were times when he would put an excellent performance together. And I remember being so excited after the Community Shield and the 5-0 against Bolton when Anderson and Cleverly looked like the future of our midfield. And, uh, you know, I, I really was excited. They really looked like our best central midfield pairing and that clearly <laughs> did not turn out to be the case. Uh, anyway. No, clearly not. I'm, but that's that's the thing. It's about consistency. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, I, I would be hugely surprised if Anderson suddenly turns around and becomes one of the best midfielders in Italy. Although, of course, you know, there have been other players that United have let go who have become one of the best midfielders <laughs> in Italy. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the other thing about Anderson that I always like to say is I think the fact that he got an incredibly serious injury so early in his Man United career made a huge difference to his whole future trajectory. And, you know, all that conversation about where Adnan Yanazai is going to go, it all relies on him not getting a broken leg in the next couple of years. And I, I think that huge layout the first layout that Anderson had layoff sorry I think that made an enormous difference and Ando will always have Moscow well he will I suppose he had a, a minute on the pitch and then scored a penalty a what, very, what very, a minute it was a very important penalty of course uh, it's number six you know, he's going to leave United with, uh, I think someone said four Premier League titles and, and uh, the World Club Cup and the uh, uh, European Cup as well. And he's got some, some collection of medals and a, a really massive bank account and, uh, and, and in reality hasn't really earned it. But, you know, there you go. Maybe he'll go on to have a fine career elsewhere. I, I would be surprised, but, you know, maybe. I, I wish him well. Uh, it, you know, other people get frustrated with him stealing a living at United and, and I can understand why because, you know, it's uh, the fans that go every week. It's their money that he He's, he's earning in it and and all 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 of us that pay for products which are advertised on television it's our money too um during football matches but yeah you know it, it, i will never forget for the rest of my life the faces he pulled at goalkeepers um during when we were taking free kicks that is a football memory that i'll carry with me forever so there we go good luck ando i hope uh, you don't eat all that steak in fiorentina hey yes uh, well known for their raw steak <laughs> that is, I mean, like, it's not our fault, all right? The jokes write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, elsewhere in the transfer market, David Moyes has been on a tour of Europe. He's been spotted all over the place, and United have consequently been linked with just about every central midfielder in Europe, including Paul Pogba, who uh, we let go for a negligible amount of money a couple of years back, and is now one of the finest central midfielders in Europe. No, no chance of you know, signing him, by the way. Uh, I'm quite sure that a lot of that speculation is simply um, you know, Raiola, his, his agent, uh, uh, testing the waters for where Pogba's next move will be. I suspect he'll be back to Paris. The reason that you suspect that, Ed, is because it will be back to Paris. Has ever a transfer? Mino Raiola player at Juventus from France. I mean, it's just got Paris Saint-Germain written all over it, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Nailed on. Uh, in which uh, another one of United's supposed targets, Luke Shaw at Southampton. What a crazy club Southampton is at the moment. I would be surprised if he goes this winter, Luke Shaw, but uh, apparently United interested. Why wouldn't they be a very talented left back? And we need a new left back if Patrice is going next summer, which looks likely, but uh, he's nailed on to go to Chelsea, I think. So don't think we'll be getting him either. 
Uh, no, also, yeah, he's supposed to be a massive Chelsea fan, apparently. So, you know, since they need a left-back to replace their, their outgoing left-back as well uh, for the long run, I think it's going to be very difficult to compete. It would be difficult to compete probably for most players with Chelsea if they really wanted them because we're not in the same league financially, are we, in terms of wages and stuff, what we're going to offer them? Well, no, uh, although, you know, we keep hearing that Moises' war chest is massive. Uh, haven't seen any evidence of that yet. It might be massive, but it's definitely under lock and key. Meanwhile, there are stories in the papers every single day of another central midfielder or few that United are interested in. So, you know, I, I think a lot of this is, is nonsense and it's a good copy, isn't it, for the papers? I'd be really surprised if United do a really big deal this winter. I, I think we might get in a, a replacement for Anderson, but that might well be a mid-ranked player, not one of the elites, uh, more likely to pull off that kind of deal. It's more short-term thinking. And, and we'll see if United actually manage to pull off any of those mega deals next summer. Of course, to go back to our previous conversation about dropping out of the Champions League, if United do drop out of the Champions League, you can certainly start to question the future of a number of players. We know that likelihood is that Rio is leaving. Fabio will definitely leave. I'm sure that Patrice Evra will be leaving. Vidic is out of contract too. And then probably Ryan Giggs will retire. And then there's a question over Wayne Rooney and Robin Van Persie, who today Van Persie said he's very happy and he believes in the manager, which is all good to hear. Whether Wayne Rooney is happy and believes in the manager, or the club is another question altogether. Rooney's off. He's off. I just, I'll, I'll be staggered. This is like the third time I've been absolutely sure that Rooney's off on the podcast, by the way. That we recorded an entire podcast before he did the 360, the 180 when he was leaving to City, which you can find in our archives where we, we talk in real depth about him leaving and what the implications are. And then I'm pretty sure we did that when he was off to Chelsea as well. <laughs> yeah. United's resolve last summer was, was very strong about Rooney. They refused to let him go when we were all certain that it was going to happen. It's a little different this time around, of course, because he'll have 12 months left on his contract. So much as Edward would talk to Big saying they weren't afraid to let his contract run down I wonder I wonder I mean there's there's a big asset there 30 million pound asset that's a, that's an awful lot of official drinks partners and official savoury snacks partners and official Azerbaijani telecoms partners to go and win uh, it is and the other thing about it is that he could just buy himself out of his contract with a year left 12 and a half million pounds well this is theoretical though so it's really never happened uh, not, not in a big player like that and, and the reason why is that none of the clubs want to do this right they'll all be in the same position no one wants a free-for-all in Europe right no one wants right. it and this is why we've not seen any big deals I mean you saw the Webster this is all from the Webster case right the Hearts player who effectively bought himself out of the contract so really might be able to do it none of the big clubs have tested that yet because it'll be a free-for-all around Europe it's bad enough under Bosman if you effectively got the ability to sign any player you wanted as long as they'd been at a club for three years and they were over 24 or whatever the cutoff is then the whole transfer system is going to break down as we know it so none of the clubs actually want to push it they'd love that rule to be off the books uh, unfortunately it's an EU level rule and the EU have taken a interest in sport that is unusual compared to their interest in other industries yeah I guess it's the profile right it's because people like to be in associated with sport in a different way than they do with other industries at jduke underscore long time listening to the Rankcast right back to the old days he asked an interesting question um, I'm trying to puzzle it out in my head why doesn't Vidic get as much stick as Rooney? His agent's saying he won't be back and it's not the first time he's looked to leave. And 
first of all I think they've slightly walked back the Vidic definitely definitely isn't going to stay to a kind of oh no, no, no you know he's open to it etc but he has kind of definitely been in negotiations presumably at a reasonably high level with other clubs over the years uh, why, why do you think he doesn't get the full Rooney treatment well look, I think part of it is it doesn't feel quite as overt and he's not attempting to directly move to one of United's major rivals and he's not the star player anymore so there's part of that but of course people are right to point out that in the past he is he's also uh, looked around the market in Europe remember when he had that very long thigh injury nerve injury I think it was and uh, quite a poor season that season he was also looking around Europe at other options at that time you know that's his agent's prerogative I suppose so it's a fair challenge to say that perhaps he hasn't been committed to the United cause uh, in the same way some other players have and maybe you should get some stickers part of that but he hasn't attempted to engineer a move to Chelsea or Manchester City no, absolutely, and that makes a huge difference, I think. And also, he didn't come to the club as such a young player, but I think that makes a bit of a difference. And, you know, I don't know how much of a factor this is, to be honest, but he's not a Scouse. And I genuinely do wonder about that with Rooney sometimes, that, like, the Scouse stuff goes beyond the joke a lot of the times at United. You know, there's genuine antipathy between the two cities for a whole bunch of reasons. People have antipathy. And and I do think that Rooney, being from Liverpool, there was always like a all right, well, we'll trust you so long as you're ours and you make it very clear. I don't know, maybe maybe that's not fair. No, I'm sure there's part of that. Anyway, 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 let's not have a rant about Rooney. All right. Uh, Talking of of which, I suppose, uh, United play uh, Rooney's next club on (laughs) Sunday. Down to Stamford Bridge. This is going to be a, a massive test. After winning last week, yeah, Moyes came uh, on MUTV and said, uh, we're going to turn it around and uh, this is the start. It's a platform to build on. I feel like I've seen that interview about 10 times this season. It's uh, certainly a test of United's platform, isn't it? Uh, away at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea, you know, in and out points this season but just two points off the top feel like they're getting into some form had a very good win at Hull very efficient win at Hull uh, and uh, they've won well four or five on the bounce now so they look like they're beginning to motor it's going to be a seriously seriously big challenge for United yeah I'm absolutely fascinated by this one I I think the one thing to say is I don't think it really matters that much the league's gone obviously and if you look at our fixtures we haven't got another difficult game after this one for a month basically and unless you count Stoke away as difficult or just playing against other football teams as difficult as we've managed that to make that look a few times but if we went here and, and lost so long as the damage was limited and there wasn't a kind of real confidence sapping thing and we managed to win the uh, second leg of the Carling Cup semi-final or the League Cup semi-final then I don't think it's going to have too detrimental effect on our season I mean this is pretty defeatist way of looking at a game like this I was thinking about the game writing a sort of tactical preview of the game and thinking about it from a tactical point of view and just thinking God that the way Chelsea play is just it's just exactly what we're not good at right they've got three players between the lines and what's going to happen is our midfield is not going to be able to get anywhere near our front players in the breakout play certainly not except you know certainly not if it's not a counter attack and they're going to they're going to be dragged out of position the whole time we look so permeable at the best of times that I think they're kind of 4-2-3-1 if Moyes does any kind of 4-4-2 against it we're really in a bit of trouble 
Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think yeah, Moyes will end up playing one off the striker because we, we don't have Robin Van Persie fit and it looks like Rooney won't be fit either. So he, he might effectively look to copy the three in midfield and Kigara or Yanazai will be dropping back there. Chelsea will definitely play three in there. Although, of course, it's the weakest position of their team too, you know, and uh, Mourinho is mixed and matched in there over the season because he can't quite find the right balance. You know, Ramirez plays most weeks, but the other two alongside him uh, changes you know, quite frequently. Will Mikel play? Didn't play last week. Will Essien play? Probably not. Will Mata play? Unlikely. Will Lampard play? I don't think Lampard's fit at the moment, will he? Is he? So he probably won't play. So, you know, Mourinho has a problem in that central midfield too, although he has a, he has a very clear pattern of play that he wants to get. The real strength of Chelsea, of course, is in the three that will play you know, ahead of the three attacking players. So the one of that middle three and the two wider ones, uh, and they have been very effective this season. So Oscar and Hazard are very, very effective. Uh, and depending on exactly how they play, uh, I suppose we could see matter at some point. Uh, it would seem unlikely. Torres will probably lead the line. William may play, although, you know, I can't say I've been uh, massively impressed with him. He played on the right against Hull. So there's a few options there, but, you know, they've definitely got some pace and power and guile in there. Hazard's having an excellent season, an excellent player all around. I really like Oscar. I think he's a fine player too, and so they can cause some, you know, some damage. I have a slight suspicion he's going to play Mata and it's like a massive sign of disrespect to United because I think he'll play Mata because the reason the the received wisdom is that he's not playing Mata because he doesn't put the same sort of shift in and he's not as mobile and all that kind of stuff but you don't need somebody who's going to put that kind of shift in against United United's forwards can definitely get at Chelsea's back four and I think if we were coming to this with a full contingent of our forward players fit and in form I'd feel differently about it but the likelihood is Rooney's not going to be there apparently facing a late fitness test and there's almost no way he's going to play Kagawa in the hole is there I can't I just can't see it I wouldn't be surprised to see Fletcher Carrick and Cleverly all three and damage limitation and to be honest I don't think it's the worst idea in the world because I mean you know this is easily the least confident I've been about a fixture going to Stamford Bridge it's not been a, an easy place for us to go of course in the in the medium past but I I don't know I I definitely don't think we're going to win. That's that's how I feel about it. And I think we could be in for a bit of a tonking if we don't put a real, real good shift in. Well, uh, yeah, positivity <laughs> for you. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's hard to contradict you in terms of that analysis. Uh, I think that uh, Cleverly, Fletcher and Carrick is, is a, a realistic option in terms of how Moyes thinks. It would be a problem for United because that's very flat as a three. Uh, you'd be uh, hoping that Fletcher would bomb on. Can he keep the same level of intensity up for, for this kind of big game away from home of course United basically played like the away side last week against uh, Swansea so I guess it was a good test of that um, that would I presume mean uh, Yanazai shifted out to a wide area which is fine I just think uh, Danny Welbeck is, is not going to be anywhere near as effective if he's, if he's 40 yards away from his midfielders which is of course what could happen that's a, that's a pretty bad scenario for United and then Chelsea will play in front of you all day long and they've got players that uh, have the pace to uh, unlock uh, United's defence the, the other problem with United of course uh, at Stamford Bridge is that you know, we do tend to like to get our fullbacks forward and Chelsea have you know real quality in those wide areas so that's going to be a test for United to you know do we camp in our own box and play narrow which is a little bit against our tactical system this season uh, will mean that we play very defensive for the whole game do we try and play a bit more expansive and expose those wings which is of course defensively a little weak yeah absolutely and I think 
given I mean I know we'll assume Moyes will go with the conservative option but I think given the amount of different ways Chelsea can hurt us uh, if we are a bit flimsy at the back and given how permeable our central midfield is it can be cut through at will essentially I think we'll definitely see the latter of those two options really I'm yeah I think it's I think it's likely of course I uh, failed to mention that they, they've re-signed Matic the Manny Matic from yeah. Benfica who's having a very very good season and of course their former player they let go for about three million uh, not not a great piece of business that but I suppose if you're Roman Abramovich that's uh, that's the money you lose down the back of your sofa each week so it's fine for them uh, and that will help their options they really did need uh, an extra body in, in midfield which of course United do too but of course you can't sign a high quality midfielder in the winter I definitely can't do it unless you're Chelsea it's impossible it cannot be done so we should move on um, talking of sides who've outplayed us in midfield Sunderland are at Old Trafford (laughs) yeah before we get to that I just want to do a couple of quick listener questions because we've had another deluge of listener questions and it feels disrespectful to ignore them altogether So uh, a question from Ben Hudson, who says that the other night he was out with some non-United supporting mates and one of them told him that they thought Raphael was rubbish. And he couldn't believe Ben was saying how quickly he went completely mental at his mate, just like really emotionally invested as he recited stat after stat and anecdote after anecdote about how good Raphael was. And he said the chap continued to slag off other United players, Rio, Rooney, Nani, etc. But none of them brought about the response that Raphael did. Suddenly he realised that Raphael was just his favourite United player perhaps only David De Gea would get the same sort of defence from him so his question is which current United player would you most vehemently defend in an argument well I I suppose the current favourite is Adnan Yanazai although there's certainly some uh, areas of his game that are open for criticism I'm not sure maybe maybe Yanazai maybe Danny Welbeck I mean you know I like him as a player I'm not sure I'm emotionally invested in the same way you are David De Gea I like I think he's a he's a nice young man and a very talented player as well Coming on to Raphael, of course, uh, uh, his agent said this week that he was almost certainly going to leave the club. Uh, and then Raphael uh, made it clear that he wasn't planning to. We'll, we'll see. His brother's leaving. And there have been more than one rumour flying around the place that Moyes doesn't rate him that highly. That's just unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. Raphael is definitely a player that I would leap to the defence. In fact, I did leap to the defence of over Christmas. I went and visited my old office and a Liverpool fan there was saying, uh, you know, we we're having quite a reasonable discussion. And I asked him, so who who do you think's not of United quality then? And the first player he said was Raphael. And I can feel steam coming out of my ears. And like he's the best right back in the league <laughs> you know De Gea is another one that I just get crazed if somebody goes after yeah Welbeck obviously so yeah Welbeck number one Rafael and De Gea also and then Adnan if anyone sort of starts to give it the Federico Makeda I get really wound up about that not really wound up just football wound up I tell you what if anyone has a go at Bebe <laughs> you watch my rap uh, talking of Bebe uh, we had a competition a couple of weeks ago on the pod to give away a copy of Mark J Payne's book Fergie's Last Stand and the man that won the Bebe shirt we, we asked you to say why you should win the book and he came at it with I should win Fergie's last stand because I'm homeless and illiterate at underscore the broomhead it worked once with the Bebe shirt it's not working again you can't use the same joke twice a couple of other really seriously good honourable mentions at Harry Stevens 94 says studying English I'm forced to read 16th century poetry this poetry coincides with the last time Liverpool won the league I'd like to read more contemporary prose documenting United's successes with Liverpool firmly off their perch 
Also, at Jack K. Holt with the honourable mention, basically word-for-word replicates Fergie's speech uh, over the course of five tweets, but talking about the rank cast and why he should win the book. Uh, a very good attempt, but, you know, only only one tweet allowed, surely. And the winner, at Jackie underscore Boswell, I should win it because I'm Scottish and therefore the continuity option. Ah, very good. <laughs> Very good. Well done, Jack. Talking of competitions, uh, one, uh, a mea culpa, I've forgotten to give away Daniel Harris's book uh, about the 99 season. We had an extra copy. I asked people to enter a competition a couple of weeks ago. So I'll get to that, anyone who entered and wondered where the prize has gone. And secondly, a nice competition running on the website, uh, interview with Sabutio Art, at Sabutio Art, if you haven't seen him. He, He paints these very little intricate figures of iconic moments in football. He's done quite a lot of United ones and you can win a hand-painted figure. Um, we've had hundreds of entries, although I have to say about half of them have been for the uh, Solskjaer celebration after the 99 final. So that won't win it. They come up with a unique idea of an iconic United moment and you could have it handcrafted for you. So go check out the blog for that one. Ah, oh, it's a fantastic competition. I know what I'd say, but I'm, I'm not... Go on, no, then. no, no, I don't want to poison the waters. No, no, no. Let's say, is it a unique entry? Because this will count as your entry. You may win. Uh, mm, I don't know. I think I might have to go for Welbeck's opener against Stoke. The, the, his first Premier League goal. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, I, I've got about, about 10 ideas. Do you have shares in Danny Welbeck or something? No, just emotionally. Yeah. That sounds like an awesome competition. That's a, a real kind of uh, unique once in a lifetime type prize, really, isn't it? So any, anyway, Sunderland yes, at Old Trafford uh, and United have to turn around a 2-1 deficit. United will surely do this. Surely? Sounds, surely. A, sounds a bit strong to me. Well, I mean, look, there are two questions. Like, one, United played very badly in the first leg and deserved to lose. At home, not being fantastic this season. So uh, another piece of evidence in the negative box. Oh, on the positive side, Sunderland, absolutely awful. Uh, although, won a couple of games on the spin now, of course. I guess the challenge for United also will be that it will be a very intense game against Chelsea on Sunday. There's not a lot of turnaround time and, and so that might be a, a challenge for the side um, to then turn it on on Wednesday, maybe. But you know, seriously, if United cannot beat Sunderland, I need a 1-0, remember. It can't beat Sunderland to, to reach the Capital One Cup final against Manchester City, then really don't deserve any silverware at all. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think we probably will. I, I was very negative about it after the Sunderland and first Swansea game back to back. I thought we looked really abysmal at that point. And we've definitely picked up something uh, in the meantime. The second half performance against Swansea was really promising to me because Moyes addressed the issue, made us a lot better at half time, and clearly motivated the players. And the fact that we're playing Yanazai and Kagoa together, which hasn't happened very often, gives me a lot of confidence. We'd like to see that more often, wouldn't we? Anyway, I am mindful we've had a very long show this week, lots to talk about. But one last thing we need to do before we go is predictions. Absolutely. Uh, I think we're going to lose 3-1 to Chelsea and win 2-0 against Sunderland and go through. Very good. Or not very good. Have you predicted a loss before for United? Yeah, I've definitely predicted losses in the past. um, But it's been a long time. It doesn't happen very often. But then, to be fair, you know, before this season, we didn't really lose very often. Well, no, this is true. (laughs) So, So I'm like Mark Lawrenson. Uh, who does the predictions for the BBC I cannot bring myself to predict a United loss ever if Mark Lawrenson was correct Liverpool would win the league by about 25 points every season in fact they average over three <laughs> points a game uh, under Lawrenson's rules no <laughs> yeah. wonder he's been sacked by the BBC anyway uh, I think United will lose at Stamford Bridge too 
it's hard to find any logical reason why we won't oh my goodness. scrape a zero zero draw with a you know back to the wall Mourinho esque parking the bus performance. Now I, th- I think United will lose one nil at Stamford Bridge and will beat Sunderland three one. All right, excellent. And you know, on balance, it's sad to say, it's really sad to say that the Carling Cup game is the League Cup game is more important than the Chelsea game because you say that but uh, United currently three points behind Tottenham four behind Everton and five behind Liverpool so the results go the wrong way this weekend and United could find uh, themselves eight points off fourth place uh, that's true but then if you look at the fixtures after the Chelsea game we're playing Cardiff at home Stoke away Fulham at home then on the 12th of February Arsenal away but then Crystal Palace you know so um, then it gets a bit tricky again because we're playing City but after this game we've got three games where you'd expect us to be getting nine points I mean I know you know it's United under Moyes and so whether we get those nine points or not is up for grabs but Cardiff Stoke and Fulham if we don't get those nine points we definitely you know we really are in trouble well quite uh, so let's um, let's hope we do get those nine points because I really am not full of confidence that United will get anything out this weekend I think it could be a really pivotal wood game though and Moyes oh, and United season uh, if the results do go against us and we find ourselves eight points behind fourth that's a serious gap serious gap yeah absolutely could of course go right you know maybe Liverpool will lose to Aston Villa and uh, <laughs> yeah, oh my god maybe and, and, oh, and uh, maybe United will go win at, uh, at Stamford Bridge and we'll all be feeling much better about ourselves again after that won't we you know so such so is the nature of United this season it's very hard to predict because we don't know which United will turn up most of the time it's been a very poor one and occasionally it's been a better one let's hope that United of the second half against Swansea City turns up and we put in a performance yeah absolutely although I don't think I've ever been more depressed about you know last week we had a question like what's your low point as a Man United fan I think I might have to update mine to the time Ed said hopefully Aston Villa will beat Liverpool and we had to somehow care about that you know <laughs> it's just not acceptable is it well no it's, it's okay to care about anyone being Liverpool at any week <laughs> but but uh, yes in the ch- in the chase for fourth god it's got bad hasn't it anyway on that cheery note uh, given that we are optimisms podcast honest <laughs> we, we'll, we'll leave you for another week uh, let's let's hope we're both wrong about the result on Sunday um, let's hope we're both right about the result next Wednesday and of course you know I have a weekend off next weekend which is a uh, yeah very nice uh, so we can put it all into it this week lads no you know no shirking it good luck you're gonna need it absolutely and you know I hope you all have a lovely week uh, whether or not the football goes our way try and enjoy the weekend and we'll be back next week with another one of these if you want to get us at the meantime get me at UTD Rankcast get Ed at United Rant find us both or more accurately neither of us on facebook.com slash United Rant get us both on the show page at unitedrant.co.uk and help out with bandwidth at unitedrant.co.uk slash donate and also leave us a review or rate us on iTunes and thank you very much to all the people that have done that in the last couple of weeks